Good morning, everyone. I'd like to welcome you to our service this morning. It's good to have you here to worship with us this morning. And um, I'd like to welcome those of you who are joining us online um, on this nice, nippy Northwoods morning. So um, we're here to worship the Lord and to help us uh, get into that setting and into that mood and into the presence of the Lord. Let's read together a passage from Psalm 139. Read with me. O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. You know, as we go into worship, uh, you know, this is, we're near the New Year time. It's a time when we look backwards and look at the year that's passed. And hopefully you've all seen the hand of the Lord in your year that passed. I know many of you have had a, 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 let's call it an adventurous year, a different kind of year. And we also look forward to 2022. And, you know, we know for sure that there will be trials, sorrows, disappointments, pain. There'll be joy, there'll be gladness. But we know that in all of those things, the Lord is with us. So we just read he goes with us. He's with us wherever we go. We can't go anywhere without him. So let's start by standing and singing the song, Everywhere I Go, which just reaffirms to the Lord that wherever we go, we go with him, and that we're not asking the Lord necessarily to follow us, but that we will follow him. So let's sing together. Everywhere I go on this road, high and low, I go with you. I want. 
The same spirit I cannot contain Everywhere I go on this road High and low, where I go, I go with you So I won't be afraid, this my hope Come what may, where I go, I go
seated. Well, good morning. Good to be gathered together with you this morning. And to be gathered together as God's people brought together in the place. We're glad you're here with us at Three Lakes Evangelical Free Church. If you're new or visiting, my name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here. I mean, if you are new or visiting, a couple of things for you to do. You can first stop by at our, our new welcome table out back, right? and so we're excited about that. Like our deaconesses have been doing a great job kind of remaking that area back there that we're just thankful. And so if, you want to, if you're new and you want to stop at that welcome table on your way out this morning, we have a gift for you. We'd love to just kind of learn about you, learn a little bit more about, have you learn a little bit more about our church. Additionally, if you're new or just anything you want to communicate with us at the church, there's a connect card on the seat back in front of you. You can fill that out. And you can drop those in the boxes that are mounted on the back wall on your way out. That's also where your, your tithes and offering can go this morning. You can drop those in the boxes on your way out this morning if you want to give to what we're doing here at the church. Additionally, this morning is, is Communion Sunday. And so in addition to our regular tithes and offerings, we take a special benevolence offering on Communion Sunday. Right? The chance to give specially for the needs of people in our community, both our church community and our local community around us. And so if you want to contribute to those kind of needs, there will be somebody at the door holding a plate that will be kind of a designated benevolence offering to help meet needs. Along those lines, if you know of any needs in our community, whether it's our church family or um, the church more broadly, I would encourage you to reach out let the church know, um, and we would love to just be able to meet needs in our community. So we're, again, we're glad you're here with us this morning as we seek to gather together and worship God. And as we kind of prepare our heart and continue in this time of worship, would you join me in prayer? Father God, we do thank you for the chance to gather together as your people that you've brought together in this place. We thank you for the way you've worked in every life represented in this room to, to draw 
deep people here so that we can come before you, we can sing, pray to you, and we can hear your word preached to us in this place. And we thank you that you're a God who, who cares for us, who loves us, and that work in our lives even when we feel distant from you sometimes. God, we pray especially that you are a God that works and is present even in the midst, as we just sang, of dark times. And we know there are, there are people in our church family who are going through trials right now, going through hardships. And we pray especially for those that you would be at work, that you would be present in the lives of those who uh, yeah, are just feel, going through dark times, that, you'd, that they would feel your presence, that you would be at work in the lives of those who have an especially keen sense of their need for you right now. Father, we pray as well for just churches around the world that are gathering, that cannot gather as openly or as freely as we gather here. For Christians in places that it is dangerous to gather and worship, but are still gathering to pray to you. Pray that you'd be with them, that you'd give them courage and hope and strength this morning as they face difficult circumstances. And I just pray for each of us now, as we gather here, as we sing praise to you, as we hear your word, that we would be transformed this morning more and more into the image of your Son, we would go out from here with a desire to reach people with the gospel. We would go out from here with a desire to grow closer to you, to grow to be more like Christ. We leave here with a desire to serve others. God, I pray you'd be at work this morning in whatever way each of us needs to draw us to yourself. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I've noticed in this last year that I have found myself ending most of my public prayers and private prayers um, intentionally and deliberately choosing to put my trust in the Lord, in Jesus, and our Heavenly Father. You know, when things are, are unsettled and uncertain, there's not much else we can do. You know, we often um, look at the news or see what's going on and we say, boy, what do we put our trust in? And we put our trust in the Lord. And I also say, and I find my help, my hope in the Lord. And so I think that's a great way to start a new year is to deliberately choose, find our hope, and to put our, find our hope in the Lord and to put our trust in Him. So as we continue to worship, we're going to talk about some songs that speak of how God is trustworthy. He will hold us and He is very faithful. So let's start by standing and reading responsibly this time a passage from Psalm 59. My heart is congregation. You, sorry. We'll start over. I realize that the congregation starts first, so go ahead, you guys. My heart is confident in you, O God. My heart is confident. No wonder I can sing your praises. Wake up, my heart. Wake up, O harp and lyre. I wake the dawn with my song. 
I will thank you, Lord, among all the people. I will sing your praises among the nations. For your unfailing love is as high as the heavens, and your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the highest heavens. May your glory shine over all the earth.
with you and thank you that your faithfulness is great, that you are faithful to us through through trial, through difficulties, through hardships. You are you are faithful. You your word is true, your word is always true. You care for us, you walk with us, you never leave us or forsake us, but you are faithful to us. God, would we rest in that truth this morning? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, as I mentioned last week, I didn't know for sure if I'd be standing here with you this morning, and so lined up some other people to, to preach in my place for the next few weeks, not knowing kind of what our life will look like with baby coming any day, right? So it turns out I'm here, but I'm glad to have Jesse Smith here with us this morning. He's going to bring God's Word and preach to us this morning. Jesse and his wife Kim and their family have been coming to our church for a couple months now. Um, and Before joining us, Jesse had some time in pastoral ministry a few different places. Right now he's teaching in Rhinelander, right? so he's kind of doing the opposite of what I did. Right? Um, so special, special heart for him as he teaches, right? Um, and thankful for all that he's doing with children in our kind of surrounding area now, teaching them. Um, just looking forward to hearing him bring God's word this morning. Looking forward for me to be able to just sit and hear God's word preached for the first time in a long time. Um, and yeah, just excited to hear what Jesse has to say to us this morning. So I'm going to pray for him, and then we're going to let him bring God's word for us. Father, we thank you for Jesse and the way you've worked in his heart this morning. Um, and then leading up to this morning to just, yeah, illumine your word to him as he prepared to bring it to us. I pray that you would, you would be with him now, that you would speak your truth through him as he brings our word, your word to us. Um, I pray that you'd, yeah, you'd speak, you'd be at work now in our lives through your word that Jesse brings. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 66, and though on the bulletin it says verses 1 through 4, I'm actually just going to read 1 through 2 this morning, because I think it'll be more beneficial. So again, it's Isaiah 66, uh, verses 1 through 2, and I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. <clears throat> it reads this, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me, and what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one whom I look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. This is the word of the Lord. <clears throat> So I know we've already had one Sunday in 2022, but I'd like to say a Happy New Year to everyone. Um, it's always, it seems like every single year it's hard to believe it's that next year, right? So now we're writing 2022 and it seems strange. You know, I'm a second grade teacher right now and writing 2022 on the board every single day so the kids are learning how to read the date. It just seems weird, but I'll get used to it. <clears throat> But every, every New Year, this, there's this song that pops in my head, and it's an old song from the 60s, and it's, it's odd, it's eerie. And the reason it pops in my head is because when I was in like upper middle school, early high school, 
I was really into muscle cars, and I'd sit in my room and read Hot Rod magazine, you know, and build these old muscle car uh, models. And I would listen to 50s and 60s music, you know? Like, I just, I was weird, you know? I grew up in the 90s, this is in the 90s, and I was listening to 50s and 60s music. But this one song, it kind of creeped me out. It had this eerie tone. It goes something like, in the year, da-da-da-da-da-da. I see certain people laughing, and the young people are thinking, like, what are you talking about, right? Um, but this song was written in 1969, and it was about <clears throat> the future and wondering if we were, I guess, you know, running about, it was actually in the year 2525, right? And I remember looking it up when I thought about this, thinking, are we there yet? That would be interesting, you know? Well, we got a ways to go yet, right? And that's not a bad thing. <clears throat> but with it being New Year's, you know, some people are really into New Year's resolutions, and maybe you've been hitting the gym this past week hard. You know, maybe you've been eating healthy this past week. Maybe you're not into New Year's resolutions at all. Um, but even if you're not, January is a good time to think back, back over the past year and examine our habits, right? And look at how are we doing? How is our walk with the Lord, especially? And <clears throat> this morning I want to talk about God's Word. And my hope in that is that we're spurred on to believe what God's Word says about itself. So much so that 2022 is filled with responding to God's Word rightly. That we would approach it uh, because we believe what it says about itself and that shapes how we approach it and how we soak in it over the year 2022 and beyond. And so just a brief background, just really high level, <clears throat> about the book of Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet, and he prophesied that, prophesied that God would judge Israel for her idolatry. Right? And he was going to send the Syrians and the Babylonians, and they were going to take them into captivity. But thankfully, the book is not all gloom and doom. And he also writes about how God's kingdom would eventually be restored through a future messianic king who would come and preach good news. He'd be rejected and killed. He would atone for the sins of his people. And he'd live again to, 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 sorry, he'd live again to declare God's people righteous. <clears throat> and through the Messiah, people from all nations would become part of God's family. <clears throat> And so today, uh, we'll be in chapter 66 of Isaiah, which contrasts those who are brought into the family of God through the Messiah and those who are not brought into the family of God through the Messiah. And we'll be looking primarily, again, at how God's people should approach God's word. <clears throat> and so we begin with verse 1, which says, Thus says the Lord. Those are some mighty words. They're powerful words, right? Thus says the Lord. These four words are a great reminder of what we have in this book right here, right? We have the word of God. And that's what the Bible says it is. The Bible says it's the word of God, right? Just as Jesus in his earthly ministry, he didn't leave it open as to who he was and what his identity was. He made it very clear. He was the son of God. He was God in the flesh, and in a similar way, God doesn't leave it open as to what this is right here. He makes it very clear. This is the word of God. It's how God speaks to us. And so the Christian is to approach all of Scripture as God's word. And so that's what we'll start talking about this morning. And so we should approach it this way because the Bible repeatedly says it's God's word. This phrase, thus says the Lord, occurs 400 times in the Old Testament. 400 times. And the words God said occurs 42 times in the Old Testament and four times in the New Testament. And you can find the words God spoke nine times in the Old Testament, three times in the New Testament. 
And yet, it's not only passage of Scripture that say, thus says the Lord, or the red letters of the New Testament that are the Word of God. It's all God's Word. If we look at uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, all Scripture is breathed out by God. The word Scripture refers to written words, and it was traditionally used for the Old Testament. Okay? In Jesus' ministry, when he talked about the Scriptures, he was talking about the Old Testament. But here in the New Testament, it's written in 2 Timothy, Paul says it's all, right, including the New Testament, is the Word of God. We see this uh, continue in, in John 14, 26. Uh, Jesus says to his apostles, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And so just as the prophets of the Old Testament were inspired by the Holy Spirit to speak God's word and write it down, it's saying right here, the apostles were going to have that same experience. They were going to be moved by the Holy Spirit to know the word of God, to speak the word of God, and write it down. Right? We see this in 2 Peter 3, 1 through 2 as well. Peter identifies the apostolic word on the same footing of all the rest of Scripture. It says, This is now the second letter I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets, the Old Testament, and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Okay? So he's saying, remember the Old Testament promises and everything, but also remember the word of God that's being taught today through the apostles. And uh, also in 2 Peter 3, 15 through 16, Peter is writing, and he's identifying Paul's words as scripture. And maybe you don't think this is very significant, but I used to go to cardiology appointments in Milwaukee, and my cardiologist was a Muslim, and we'd always talk about God, we'd talk about the gospel, we'd talk about the Bible. And he said, yeah, things were going really fine over there until Paul started twisting things up in writing. Okay? He thinks Jesus' words were great. He believes Jesus existed, but he thinks Paul came and he just twisted it all and he wrote lies and deception. But here's Peter saying, no, that's not true. Listen, uh, Peter writes, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which, is, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Okay? So Paul's writings are scripture. And the Bible says they are. And we see that in, you know, there's 1 Thessalonians 2.13. Paul is writing, saying, you know, it's the word of God which you heard from us. Okay? And uh, I think if you advance the slide, it'll go to 1 Thessalonians. Is that, or is it not on there? And then in uh, 1 Corinthians 14, uh, 37 through 38, Paul writes, These things I am writing to you are a commandment of the Lord. Okay? So Paul is saying, This is the word of God that I am writing to you. This is God-inspired. And so the New Testament writings clearly identify themselves on the same level as the rest of scriptures. We see that everywhere. And kind of going back to 2 Timothy 3.16, notice that it doesn't say only scriptures that say, thus says the Lord, right? It's all scripture is breathed out by God, okay? So think about what that means. It's breathed out by God. That doesn't mean that Paul was the source or Peter was the source or the prophets were the source. God is the source. 
and he breathed out his word. This is the, the voice of God coming through in the scriptures. It's God's word. And we see this elsewhere in scripture. In Hebrews uh, 1.1, I think there's a slide, yes. Uh, Hebrews 1.1 says, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. And so I want you to think about this for a second. In many times, and in many ways. Okay? God spoke in different time periods, in different ways. And so think about the diversity of scripture with me this morning, just a little bit. I mean, God spoke through poems. Right? Maybe you grew up and you're like, I don't like poems. I'm a guy. I'm supposed to be tough. And I hated poems in school. But God has an appreciation for the art of poetry. And he uses it and he communicates through the beauty of poetry to his people. Right? Genealogies. Maybe you're reading the, through a Bible reading plan already and you've hit genealogies and you're like, I am so bored. I can't get through this. And yet, there's amazing truth in these genealogies that point to amazing things that God has done. How he has fulfilled his promises. Just how he said he would. Right? He speaks through parables that can be confusing, but thankfully he usually explains what they mean after Jesus speaks them. Uh, there's information collected by Luke about the life of Jesus in narrative form. And there's wisdom sayings, there's apocalyptic visions, there's so much more. And so there's a great diversity of scripture. And because he's spoken through different time periods and different human authors and different literary styles... It's good to be aware of those differences as we read our Bible, right, going into 2022 and always. And so what I want to do this morning is just share three practical questions you can ask when you're reading Scripture that will help you understand it no matter where you're at in the Bible, okay? And the first question that is super helpful for us, I think it's on the slide, is what is the context of the passage I'm reading? What is the context? It's really important to ask yourself, what were the circumstances surrounding the book what were the circumstances surrounding this chapter or even the sentence, right? It helps us to get in there and really understand what was going on. And often we don't do that, right? We don't want to be flipping dip Christians and say, oh, this is what God has for me today. We want to understand what's going on, right? So we can better read and understand what God is communicating to us. And so think about this here. If, if I get up for work early, which I often do, and I go before my kids are awake, and I decide I'm going to take my daughter out for a daddy-daughter date that night, and I write... Uh, honey, tonight we, to, today we will go out for ice cream when I get home. Okay, love dad. And I give her that note, I go to work, I come home, and she's all dressed up, excited, ready to go. I take her out for ice cream, we have a great time. Day's done, go to bed, get up and do the same thing tomorrow, go to work. But I don't write a note. But then I get home, and I get, and I get home, and she's dressed in a beautiful dress, and she's like, Daddy, the note says today we're going to go out for ice cream, right? She's not paying attention to the context of that note, right? That was written at a specific time to a specific person about a specific day, right? And so as Christians, we don't want to make that mistake of just reading without thinking about the context because we might start to think, well, God promised this to me. Maybe he promised it to Israel at a specific time in history, and we're trying, we're trying to receive this promise in a certain way, and maybe we're not understanding the context, right? It can really make a difference in how we read Scripture, Instead, we ought to think about the context of Scripture by asking things like, who wrote this? Right? Who was this written to? What was God doing in that time period? You know, was he disciplining? Was he blessing? Um, how does it relate to the storyline of Scripture? Right? From the beginning of Scripture to the very end, God is on a mission, right? And we want to know, how does this time period fit into what God is doing as history unfolds? Right? Because we know the beginning, we know the end. It's, we're wise to really examine where is this in, in things. You know, is this a promise? Is this something that's going to be fulfilled? Has this been fulfilled? 
And of course, what, is the, what was the culture like at the time? Because some of this stuff happened a long time ago in cultures that seem so distant, it's hard to understand, right? And honestly, a good study Bible can be a great tool for helping us to answer some of these questions, right? Just reading an introduction to a book alone can really help us understand what was going on at the time. Why were they writing, you know, things like that. And it can really get us into the scripture understanding more deeply. And as we understand more deeply, we can grow closer to the Lord and we can help others grow closer to the Lord as we share that with them as well. A second question you could ask is, what genre am I reading here? It's helpful to understand that the Lord has revealed himself through different styles of writing, right? And if we look at them all the same, well, we're going to find ourselves confused, right? And for an example here, if my, if my wife writes a grocery list to me, and I'm reading it as a love letter, that's going to be, you know, I'm trying to think, milk and eggs, what is that symbolic, what is that supposed to mean there, right? And we won't under, I won't understand it rightly, Okay. And it's the same with scripture. It's good to know what genre you're reading so you can read it appropriately. You know, is this a narrative? So you read it like a narrative? Or is this uh, a parable, right? A story that's made up using an analogy of the day uh, to help bring a point home about the kingdom of God. And so there are a lot of genres, and it's just, it's good to know what they are. And here's like an example for you this morning. I think the book of Proverbs is often misunderstood and misapplied, Okay. Take, for example, of Proverbs 22.6, which says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Okay? Sadly, I've seen this passage like, heaped up on well-intended Christians, on other Christians that have, that have said, you know, well, if you really did raise your child in the Lord, they'd be walking with them right now. You know? And then these, these poor parents are walking around beating themselves up and thinking, I, I guess I failed, and I just didn't do it right. I mean, I... I could have prayed more. I could have done two Bible studies with my kid a day, and maybe that would have turned out better. But, it, but so maybe you're th- sitting there thinking, well, how does that all work together this morning? Okay? Well, think about this. The wisdom sayings in Proverbs, they're not intended to be read as promises or guarantees. Okay? By definition, something that is proverbial is something that is generally true. Okay? So the book of Proverbs is filled with descriptions of how the world tends to go. Think about this, right? The wicked tend to get in trouble. That's a pattern of the world. It's a pattern we see in Proverbs. Does that always happen? No. Will it be fulfilled in the future that they will be judged? Yes. But there are some, some wicked people who prosper greatly in our world. And yet there's a general pattern spoken of in Proverbs that people that do evil get in trouble, right? Right? And the sluggard doesn't generally get rich. Do some lazy people get rich? You bet. But there's a general pattern. Laziness leads to poverty. Over, And I'm not saying everyone who's in poverty has been lazy, but there's this trend. It says in Scripture, if you're going to be lazy, watch out, because you might not have bread on your table. And children are generally influenced by their parents' instruction. Okay? And so they're not meant to be read necessarily as commands or promises, but they lay out principles for pursuing Life in the fear of the God, or sorry, in the fear of God, in wisdom. And as we grow in our understanding of different genres of God's written word, the Bible becomes clear, and again, we can better minister to ourselves and our own hearts and others. And so, the the next question I would encourage you to ask when you're reading your Bible this year and always is, how does this passage relate to Christ and His work? How does this passage relate to Christ and His work? 
even the Old Testament passages, even if you're reading Genesis, even if you're reading Exodus, okay, I want you to listen to some of the words of Jesus here. It's Luke 24, 25, and 27. <clears throat> Jesus was uh, speaking to... He was speaking to the religious leaders of the day, and he said, O oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessarily that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into glory? Oh, sorry, this is when on the road to Damascus when Jesus is walking with some of his disciples after he rose again from, from the grave. But listen to what he does as he's walking with them. In 27 it says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scripture, in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And so he's walking with them, and he's opening up the, the prophets, and he's opening up Moses, and he's saying, this is where it was predicting me. This is where it was getting ready for me. And in John 5.39, here he's talking to corrupt religious leaders of the day, and in John 5.39, which I believe is on this slide, he said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and yet it is they that bear witness about me. Okay? He's saying the scriptures are about me. They're pointing to me. Right? And we see this similarly in, in, in Acts 10.43. Luke is writing and he says, To Jesus all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receive forgiveness of sins through his name. Okay? And so in Jesus' ministry and even in, in, in the New Testament, we see, and we go through the Old Testament, you can see where it talked about one like Moses would come, a prophet like Moses would come who would be far greater and he would save his, his people from their sins. All of Scripture points to Jesus, right? Who is the pinnacle of, God, of the timeline of history because he came to save sinners like us and bring us to himself and then carry us on to heaven. But here we're for, here for this period where we get to go out and preach Christ. That's why we're here, right? My little kids are like, why does God save us and leave us here? Sometimes this world is miserable. Yeah, it is miserable. And we have heaven to look forward to, but guess why we're here? To preach Christ. To share Christ. That others would know Christ. That's why we're here. And so all the scriptures do point to Jesus, right? They predict Christ. They might prepare the way for Christ. They might reflect on Christ's work. And they may teach the result of Christ's work. But really the Bible points to Jesus. And so all of Scripture is God's word, and all of Scripture points to Christ. So we'd be wise to ask, how does this passage relate to God's work in Christ? And so moving on to uh, point number two here. I, what I see in Isaiah 66 is that we ought to approach God's word as the final authority. And this isn't the only place that says this, right? But look at Isaiah 66, verse 1, which I believe is on the slide. Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me, and what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. And this, this, this imagery here is amazing, if you think about it. Do you see how big and mighty our God is? Right? Now, God doesn't have a body. Jesus, God the Son, took on a body, but God is everywhere. He's a spirit. But here's this imagery of the earth is the place he puts his, his feet at. Okay? It's that small compared to the grandeur of God, how big and mighty and glorious he is. Okay? And so we see here, thus says the Lord, which is like this announcement declaring a royal message from a king. 
And he describes this throne that we just talked about, and the earth is his footstool, right? And so his throne room is the planets and the stars. He is big and he's everywhere. And he's amazing, right? And this, this, this picture of this throne room, you know, the greatest throne rooms you could imagine, whether through history of certain kings or watching Lord of the Rings and picturing these big throne rooms, this biblical picture of God's throne room makes those look like a children's nursery, right? Because he's that big. He, his throne room is the universe. He created it all. It is his, right? And so Isaiah 40 describes how no human has given him counsel. And again, we're not in Isaiah 40, but just kind of paraphrasing what comes in Isaiah, what was in Isaiah 40. You know, he talks about how no human has given him counsel. And he talks about how the, all of the nations collected together don't amount to a drop in the bucket compared to how great and glorious he is, right? So picture a little drop in a bucket that you can barely see compared to all of the universe is God's throne room. Okay? And he goes on and he gives another analogy in Isaiah 40 where he says, they don't even amount to the weight of the dust on, a, on the scales. So picture scales used to measure things. Just the dust on there is how tiny humanity is compared to the grandeur of God, the glory of God. Okay? And he's not using that to say he doesn't care about humanity. We know he cares about humanity. He's demonstrated that in his son. But he's saying he is amazingly holy and glorious and big and sovereign compared to humanity. And so, God is the author of life, and therefore he is the ultimate authority. Not only is he bigger than all of us, he's sovereign, but he created everything, and therefore he is the authority. Think about how that word author and authority go together. If an author writes a book, they have authority over that book. Nobody else can copy it, print it, unless they sell their rights. God is the author of life, the author of the earth, the universe, and it's all his. And therefore he has authority over it. And if God is the highest authority, then his written word is inherently authoritative, right? It's kind of like when you have a kid, you are inherently the authority over that kid's life. At least you are. You are. You may abdicate that or reject that, but you are the authority over that kid's life. And it's important to understand this morning that we can learn a lot about Scripture. We can ask good questions, and we should always be asking questions, right? We should always be... Uh, examining things, learning more, right? And, and the scripture says every word of God will prove true. So we shouldn't be afraid to ask hard questions, to dig in and have a deeper understanding. But no matter how many questions we ask, no matter how many things we learn and say or affirm about God's scripture is that it's not going to give it its authority, right? It already has that because it's God and he is the highest being that exists. And so we don't give it that authority, it already has it. We come to understand it as we ask questions, but we don't give it its authority. And I say that this morning because there's a lot of movements where people start with the human and the human mind and treat scripture as if it was just something written by humans and we can take good things from it, right? But that's not true. It's the word of God, and he is our highest authority. He is the final authority. Hebrews 4.12 supports this, and I think it's on the slide there. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God's word discerns the thoughts and intentions of our hearts, right? Um, It's not that, it's the word of God that shows us how to think and act more godly. It's not our thoughts that decide who God is and how we should act, okay? 
It's the word of God that discerns our hearts, and it should govern our lives and our churches, right? And it's the word of God we're to submit to. And, and because of that, right, it'd be foolish if, if a pastor stood up in a pulpit with no Bible and said, here's my thoughts today, this is what I'd like to tell you, right? That would be foolish, right? And so we believe this about the word of God, that it's our final authority, because God is our final authority. So we proclaim the word of God. And we submit to it, we honor it, we obey it. And so we need to approach the scriptures this year and ongoing as the written word of God and as our final and ultimate authority. And lastly, the third thing I just want to touch on this morning is what we see in Isaiah 66 as well, which is approach God's word with trembling. And so, right, we come to church on Sunday, and it's easy to say, yeah, yeah, I affirm all these things. And then a lot of us go home, right, and our Bibles collect dust. It's easy to say, yeah, yeah, when we're together, right? And yet sometimes we go home and we're not pursuing God, right? It's, it's not showing maybe that we believe these things like we say we do or maybe we want to, right? We're not pursuing him. Um, the Lord says in Isaiah 66, 2, but this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit, and trembles at my word. And so the Lord looks to those who are humble. Okay? And I think as a Christian, yeah, sometimes we get prideful, but he, the gospel keeps us in check, right? But you can't help hearing the gospel and not saying, ooh, yeah, no pride here, I need to repent and be humbled, right? Because to be humble means recognizing your position. Because we in our pride assert ourselves up here and God down here, Right? And yet, if we understand things rightly, who God is and where his, his throne room is and what we are, we're down here, and he's up there, and that's right to think of it that way. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And he created us to reflect his glory and to find joy in relationship with him. He's the source of all things glorious and good, right? Not us, not Netflix, whatever the newest app is, Peacock, Hulu, there seems to be so many now. Maybe cable TV, maybe it's the Packers. Whatever it is that stands in your way of pursuing him, they're not as great as he is. He is great. And so here we are. We're humbling ourselves underneath these other things for entertainment and maybe not getting in the word of God. And maybe that's something we need to repent of. I know I do at times because sometimes I get lazy, right? And yet in, in our laziness, we believe the lie like, oh, what I really need right now is to watch this show and just go to bed because I'm tired. Well, what we really need is to get fed, right? The word of God so that our mind is reoriented to what is good and right and true and pursue him. And that's not to say we're not going to have some lazy days and it's good to have some leisure. I believe God made leisure and it's a part of our lives, but it shouldn't be the greater part of our lives, right? Pursuing him in everything should be the biggest part of our life. So to be humble before the Lord is to recognize that we were created for him and we desperately need his word. We desperately need it to reveal who he is and who we are, that we would live rightly before him. Because we forget who we are, and we forget who he is so easily. God also says he looks at those who have a contrite spirit. And so coming to God with a contrite heart means you're brokenhearted over your sin. You're sensitive to it, right? You've gotten to the point where you accept what God's word says, and you're done defending sinful behavior, and you've accepted that you're guilty of sin, and you've acknowledged that it's an evil against the Lord, and you're mourning it. That's a contrite heart. You're mourning your sin. And all of us sin. right? All of us sin in thought every day, probably indeed every day too. And so when we're contrite, 
We're brokenhearted about our sin. Now, that doesn't mean we enter despair the rest of our lives and we think God could never love me again. Because the gospel says that's not true. We know that Jesus came while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. Right? And so we don't get caught in that trap of beating ourselves up and thinking, I'm not good enough for God. You're right. You're not good enough and he loves you anyway. He came for you. He died for you. You're not worthy. Yet he came for you because he's worthy. Right? And so we should come to Christ with a contrite heart. We should come to his word with a contrite heart. When we read something that we butt up against, We need to examine our heart. We need to pray that God would convict our heart and change our heart, that we would be aligned with his heart. Because then we are contrite and we repent and we're walking with him. And so disobedience to God's word turns to obedience when we have a contrite heart. We repent and we walk with him. We turn away and walk with God. And lastly, it says he looks to those who tremble at his word. And so, again, as as parents, there's little worse than when you... We talk to your child and you're, you're trying to teach them or correct them and they like ignore you. Or I think even what hurts even more is when they pay you lip service and, you know, and they say, oh, okay, Dad, and they just walk away and do whatever they were doing. And it's like, oh, don't do that. Okay? And we feel disrespected and we should because that is disrespectful. But how much more? Like you picture God and he's holy, he's just, he's righteous, he's true, he's powerful, he's wise, he's beautiful. His throne room is what we talked about and yet... Sometimes we read his word and we go, man, no, and we walk, and we walk away, right? right? And so think about that and, and just how much that disrespects him and how much that hurts him, right? The, you know, it's not that he's going to pour his judgment out on the Christian anymore, but it mourns the Holy Spirit. It makes him sad, the scripture says, and he yearns jealously for our hearts to be aligned with him, okay? And so we're all sinners who deserve, we're, we're all sinners who deserved God's judgment, right? And yet he speaks to us, right? Why does he do that? He does that to communicate the message of hope for redemption from sin and death and judgment in Christ. And, and though, I mean, though God is this amazing God, God the Son humbled himself, he took on flesh, he became one of the creatures, and during his life he, he accepted all the scriptures as God's word, he submitted to them perfectly, Right? He taught them, he clarified them, he corrected misinterpretations of them, and he even trembled before God in fear as the wrath of God was poured out on him on the cross. And that was the wrath we all deserve for our sin, isn't it? And yet he stood in our place, taking it so that we could be forgiven of our sins, so we could be justified or declared righteous, and so we could be adopted into his family. And so what I want you to see this morning is that apart from Christ, yeah, we were slaves to sin. We know that. We can look back in our B.C. days before Christ, and we know we were slaves to sin. Maybe we were really good people by the world's standards, but we didn't live for God's glory. We didn't give him the credit that was due him. Right? We were headed to hell because of this, and there was no hope for eternal glory. But God's word says that all who believe in the name of Jesus Christ will be saved. And so we repented, we believed in him, and now we're walking in relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And you know where we learn Christ? In the scriptures, right? If it wasn't for the scriptures and the apostles' writings being preserved today, we wouldn't know God through Christ. And knowing Jesus and, and salvation and walking with him comes through the scriptures. And so this morning, Christian, consider Christ died for you to bring you into his family. He's given you his word, not so we would ignore it, 
but so we would soak in the great truth of who God is and what he's done for us, right? And we'd be reminded of his precious promises regularly, and we would live for him. And so, kind of in closing here, you know, we have the opportunity to think about what our 2022 will be like in light of these truths. So I'd encourage you to think about this. Have you been looking at this book as God's word? Have you been looking at this as your final authority? What it says goes, and we will submit to it. Even if we don't totally get it, we will trust in our Lord, and we will submit to this book because it's God's word, and he is our final authority, and he cares for us. Have you responded in a way that shows that this is your authority? Do you tremble at his word in a way that when we read it and we see our heart is contrary, do we tremble and repent? Do we mourn our sin and turn to Christ? That's what he would have us do this year. And are we being reminded daily of what Christ has done for you, right? Isn't that the great encouragement that we get to open this book and see what Christ has done for us? Yeah, there's plenty of discouragement in this world, but when I remember what Jesus has done for me, and who he is to me, it changes my attitude. It changes everything. And so I did notice last week in the bulletin, you know, there were some suggested reading plans you could do this year. There were some suggested devotionals. I would encourage you to dig that bulletin out and look at it and think about this year in 2022. How are you going to pursue God and his word in 2022? Okay? So don't start off the new year without God's word. I'd encourage you to dig into it, approach it as the word of God, as the final authority, and approach it with trembling. Let's go to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are a God who is not far away, as the Psalms say, but you are near. And we know it because you've given us this book. Lord, help us to appreciate it. Help us to be so thankful for it. Help us to go to it constantly that we would steep ourselves in your word and it would conform us to the image of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that it would in 2022 would be a year of our hearts being encouraged in Christ. As we see the world fall apart, we remember that Christ is on the throne and he is doing all things for the good of his people and for his glory to shine through us. And I pray that that would happen as we are conformed to you, Lord Jesus, this year. We thank you for this time and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Jesse. We're going to have a time of communion now and to begin to prepare our hearts for that. Let's uh, sing together. If you would like to stand and stretch your legs, that would be fine. But let's uh, prepare our hearts to enjoy and to participate in the Lord's Supper.
You may be seated. Thank you, Jesse, for bringing that word to us. And one of the things that we read in that word this morning is that God favors those who are humble and those who are contrite. And as Jesse said, like nothing should humble us and make us more contrite than for us to remember our sin and remember that it took God sending His Son to die for us while we were still His enemies. There is nothing good in us that made God do that for us, but there was, God did it all out of His grace. And that should cause us to be humble and to be contrite, as we read this morning. And as Jesse said, like, God reminds us of that all throughout His Word. And yet because we're so prone to pride and arrogance, we need as many reminders as we can get. And so another way that God offered for us to be reminded of our need for Jesus is through the taking of communion. That we take this bread and this juice as a physical, tangible reminder of all that Jesus did for us. And so we're going to take communion now together. If you have a cup, and I invite you to open up the, the wafer portion. And then you take that cracker. Just remember, it's a tangible image of the body of Jesus right, that was broken for you. Paul put it this way. For I received from the Lord, I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So let's partake together, remembering what Jesus has done for us. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. I partake. Father, we thank you. We pray that you give us these reminders of all that Jesus did, right? both in your word that Jesse showed us this morning, but also through tangible ways of remembering such a communion that we feel the bread breaking and the reminder that Jesus willingly came and had his body broken for us. He willingly came and had his blood spilled for us so that even though there is nothing good in us, even though we were your enemies, we could be forgiven. We could have eternal life with you. Forgive us of the times when we are proud and arrogant and put our own desires and our own will ahead of your desires and your will. 
God, help us to submit ourselves to all that you say to us in your word and live lives that honor you as we go out from here. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple quick notes before we dismiss. This Sunday is our first Sunday back to our kind of regular schedule following the service. That includes Sunday school starting at 10.30 and then 10.45 we'll meet back in here for a sermon discussion that Jesse will lead us in. I'm looking forward to taking part in that as well. Just a reminder on your way out at the door there's a couple plates that have benevolence offering and then the regular offering can go in the basket or the box that's on the back wall. So thank you for being here with us this morning. As you go, would you go just with a commitment that Jesse reminded us this morning of submitting yourself, of hearing God's word and submitting yourself to it and letting that shape how you live your life. You are dismissed. Mm-hmm.